I'm very honored to be here and to have to talk with you. Christendom, the name of a Catholic college that ambassadorly places Christ at his center with a distinct mission to restore all things in Christ, instaurare omnia in Christu, and to rebuild Christendom so that our culture may be inspired again by Jesus Christ and what he left us. Today, I'm honored to graduate from such a college. <laughs> and I'm proud to be a member of the class of 2022. fellow graduates. <laughs> you leave today from Christendom College as confident and courageous disciples of, Christ, of Jesus Christ, having been equipped with a solid Catholic formation in an extraordinary time. Thank you to your parents, benefactors, the president, faculty, and staff of the college who have made your formation possible. Formation that is open to the true, to the good, and the beautiful, wherever that is found as enlightened by the truths of a divine revelation as founded in sacred scripture, tradition, and the magisterium of the church. For those of you who have been here for at least four years, you found your formation as Christian has been marked by global pandemic, by the most divisive national election in the living memory of this great country and by the ongoing thread of major war in Europe for the first time since World War II. All along, the liquidation of God and moral relativism with the creation of false moral norms become every more widespread. The evil one is at work to sow confusion, even in terms of our most basic identity as men and women, created in the divine image and likeness from the very first moment of conception in the womb of a mother, a demonic spiritual revolts against 
what you have received from God, the gift of grace. Every university exists to form its students for the challenges that they, they will face. For a Catholic college like Christendom, that means having the courage to adhere to the faith of the church, even if that contradicts the scheme of the modern world. If it recognizes what is in its nature to do, every university seeks to cultivate in its students the good habits of virtue which fortify them for all the year ahead. The mission of Christendom College is precisely this, I quote, the chief goal of the academic program is to form intellectual virtues in the students. Man is called not only to, to know the truth, but to love it and to make it the formative principle of his life. I hope that the extraordinary events of the last years have impressed upon you, your minds and your hearts, all the more deeply the beauty of virtue, the perennial value of firm and settled disposition to know and to love what is true and good. You and I, and all of us here, we need, we, we will need it. In the year ahead, we will all learn to the habits that we have formed on the formation we have received. It is the formation of virtue aided by grace that allows us to perceive clearly and to respond generously to the persons and situations and opportunities that God places before us. In the few minutes that I have to speak with you, there are two aspects of virtue I wish, I wish I would like to reflect. Both concern the virtue of prudence, a particular with a practical wisdom. I have deliberately chosen this topic as the focus of this commencement address since the motto of Christian College Instaurare Omnia in Christo entails precisely this. To sum up every aspect of creation in Christ who is the, the way, the truth, and the life. I expect 
that most of you will have spent some time while at Christendom getting to know the work of Aristotle and St. Thomas Aquinas. According to the Aristotelian and domestic tradition, practical wisdom is a crown of the virtues which we attain supernaturally by grace, but naturally only after we have formed all the other moral virtues. These other virtues enable us to perceive clearly and to respond rightly to specific goods such as wealth, health, or honor. Practical wisdom, by contrast, enable us to integrate these goods, to discern how they fit together with each of our lives in accord with each of the vocation given to us by God. Practical wisdom, therefore, is key to our moral development in the order of nature. The attainment of the natural virtue of practical wisdom is a culmination of our journey to, our, to, our, to moral maturity. In the order of grace, its perfection helps us to imitate Christ, to fulfill his command. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I pray that God bless every one of you with the wisdom that you will need in the journeys that commence today. I say that I would reflect on two aspects of principal wisdom, on practical wisdom. The first is this. Practical wisdom enables us to make decisions. In the next weeks, months, and years, you will be making decisions that change your lives and can change the world. Not just any decisions, but difficult decisions. Decisions that draw upon multiple perspectives and multiple virtues. Decisions that involve competing goods or conflicts of interest. When faced with such a decision, it is a virtue into itself, or an aspect of, of particular wisdom to understand how quickly or how slowly to arrive at a conclusion. Noting this is, is of great help. You need not rush 
no should you delay. How you arrive at the right balance, the right speed, is something that we learn through practice. We get better at making decisions and at pacing our decisions through practice and through listening carefully to the advice of our elders. For those of you who face great decisions on the horizon and perhaps feel anxiety or stress about them, this advice might bring a little consolation, but I shall not leave it here, there. We can extract from Aristotle's some more detail. Aristotle suggests that taking time for deliberation before we make a decision is itself a good, a good which we ought not to overvalue or undervalue. He recommends that we deliberate slowly in most cases. First, he recommends that we give more time to more grave choices and less time for less grave choices. In other words, we ought not distract ourselves over less things and fail to give adequate attention to what, mat to what matters more and what matters most. Second, he recommends that we seek further clarity in a situation only to the degree that the field in under consideration allows for it. For example, there was no way for any of you to guarantee ahead of time that the choice of Christendom would be the best choice of school for you. The process of choosing a school does not admit a such a guarantee. The choice of the school always involves a risk. Likewise, in any domain, we should respect the degree to which we may attain certainty. Or in the one hand, or to which we must admit uncertainty on the other. This point, too, saves us time and protects us from needless worry. It sharpens our deliberation and discernment. Finally, Aristotle acknowledges that we do not always have the time that we might like for deliberation and discernment. 
Sometimes situation demand that we make decision, even momentous decisions, quickly. It is in it is in times like this that the value of the habit that we have formed and formation that we have received is clearest of all. In these moments, when a decision is demanded of us, we fall back on what we have practiced. We fall, we fall back on the insight with which we have grown familiar and on the skills that we have developed over many years. It is then that we are most grateful for our firm and settled disposition to know and to love what is true and good. This was the first characteristic of practical wisdom that I wanted to discuss. It is a distinct aspect of practical wisdom to understand how quickly or slowly to arrive at a conclusion in a given situation. You need no rush, nor should you delay. This is a skill for each of you to inquire. The second characteristic upon which I would like to reflect is not a systematic component of practical wisdom, but a particular example of its appearance. It is an example both fitting and startling in light of our experience of the pandemic and comes from the autobiography of St. Ignatius of Loyola, I quote. At the time the plague was beginning to spread in Paris, Ignatius entered a house in which there were many corpses of those who dead, who have dead of the plague. And he consoled and revived a sick man he found lying there. When he has touched the wounds with his hand, Ignatius departed alone. His hand began to cause him great pain and it seemed as if he had caught the disease. The fear that came upon him was so great that he was unable to vanquish and drive it away until with, with a great effort he placed his fingers in his mouth and for a long time kept them there, saying to himself, if you have the plague 
in your hand, you will also have it in your mouth. And soon as this has done, the illusion left him, and the pain he had felt in his hand ceased. After caring for a sick man, Ignatius worried that he too had been infected. If he had had a deeper understanding of bubonic plague, he would have known that infection would not have been indicated by pain in his hand. But that is beside the point. What is striking is his deliberate action. He puts what he takes to be his affected hand in his mouth. He does not want to fear affection. He prefers to have it, to have the affection and to know that he, ha he had it rather than to fear it. For us, after the enormous sacrifice made to reduce the spread of COVID, the action of Ignatius might appear utterly reckless, even offensive. But this action bring, brings to light something profound, or rather, a series of profound insights. First, you are all familiar with the, with the claim that virtue seeks the mean, the middle way between two extremes. In order to hit the middle, virtuous action must often overshoot his target. When we naturally incline to one extreme, such a fear for our such such as a fear for our own health, virtue must tend to towards the opposite extreme again and again until that until what is truly the middle way becomes clear to us. What way appear, what may appear to be an extreme action by St. Ignatius perhaps allowed him to find the mean. He feared that he had already been affected with bubonic plague. By his dramatic action, he did not expose himself anew, but simply disciplined his own fear. He rebuked himself, prohibiting him, prohibiting fear from troubling him, from discouraging him, from tender care for the sick, and from distracting him from the work of God. Second, Ignatius' action is decisive. 
Once he has spread the infection to his mouth, according to his own to his own understanding of the of the plague, there is no turning back. Beforehand, he was greatly troubled. He could not contain his fear. Different goods, different interests pulled him in different directions. In those minutes of, or hours of anxiety, he must have undertaken some form of deliberation as much as his overwhelming fear would permit. Considering, on the, on the one hand, the value of his health, his natural fear for death, his fear of suffering the, the, the agony of a plague. And then, on the other hand, his vocation to service, the freedom to which God calls us all, and the judgment before God that waits us after death. When these factors were weighed and considered, he acted suddenly. No fear, no further deliberation was necessary. There was no need for delay. And by this action, the tension is resolved. He has made his choice. This is the third insight that we can glean from Ignatius' account. Not only does virtuous action appear to be extreme at time, and not only it is decisive, it reveals a choice. Practical wisdom culminates in decisions. It commits us to one path instead of others. And in doing so, it rearranges the value in our lives. It reordered how they appear to us and how they appear to other. The choice of Ignatius to risk his life, to overcome his fear, affects us all. He presents to us courage and self-sacrifice, and perhaps even a degree of foolhardiness as choice worthy and preferable to overwhelming fear of disease. Health is legitimate good, which we ought to take care to preserve. So the choice of Ignatius was not simply an act of courage. It was a decision of practical wisdom, aided by the supernatural perspective 
on life and death that comes from Christian faith. He shaped his life in that moment and set before us all a startling manifestation of human choice and human virtue. It is to such action that we are today called. Not necessary to expose ourselves to disease, but to act contrary to the tendencies in ourselves and in others that, that obscures the middle way of virtuous action. To act decisively after mature deliberation so that we might live in the freedom that formation in virtue of effort and to reveal to the world by our choices the beautiful arrangement of the value that God integrates within each of us. In other, in other words, to reveal the vocation that he gives to, to, each other, to each of us, I propose to all of you to care the, the account of St. Ignatius in your heart, knowing that God will call you to, to surprising, startling, and decisive choices that we shall that will shall, that will shape your lives and the life of all around you we live in a time of a crisis a time that demands of us decisions after decisions to respond to the immense challenges that we face and that will shape our lives and the lives of a generation to come. I think of St. Joseph, who is rightly called the terror of demons, since he made decisions without delay in obedience of God's word. As yesterday, the glorious Mass, I invite you to take Mary in your own house, in your own home, into your own affairs, and into every aspect of your lives. Today, I invite you also to go to St. Joseph, eat at Joseph with the Blessed Virgin Mary and St. Joseph at your sides, let us rise to, to the challenge. Let us thank God for the formation that we have received. Let us consider carefully the, de de the deliberation that, that we must undertake and the array of challenges that 
we face, which, have, which are grave and which are not. Our most profound deliberations and our clearest vision of what lies ahead come to us when our hearts rest in silence, especially silence before the Lord in the Eucharist, either in the silence of adoration before the blessed sacrament or in the sonorous thread of silence that runs through the Holy Mass. Before him, in light of faith, in the grace of the sacraments, we receive the greatest help in, confront in confronting the crisis that we face and in choosing rightly in accord with, he, with his will by recognizing the responsibilities to which we are called and by taking the opportunity, the opportunity time to deliberate, especially in silence, and to respond to the challenges ahead with the practical wisdom, we will feel we will fulfill our vocations and reveal to the world the beautiful constellation of values that God shapes within each of us in order to restore all things in Christ and so to rebuild Christendom. Thank you. <laughs>